Brethren, a couple questions for you as we get started this afternoon. How aware are you of Satan's attempts to influence and infiltrate your thoughts? How aware are you of this? How clearly do we realize that Satan also works to influence our feelings, our attitudes, and even our emotions? Do we understand how Satan's ultimate goal with us in this life is to trick us into thinking and feeling in ways that will hopefully result in our forfeiting our calling? That's the angle that he comes from. Today I want to talk to you about a topic that I think we're probably all familiar with, although sometimes in our busy lives and with all that's going on, our awareness of these topics can sort of sink to the back and we can forget to be on our guard all the time. Today what we're going to do is review the reality of Satan's desire to control our minds. And specifically, I want to talk about two ways that he does successfully work to do this. If you're looking for a a title to the message this morning, it is Mind Control. Mind Control. And it's a real thing. Let's go review together a few scriptures that help set the stage for the message here. If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.4. One of those familiar passages, one of those scriptures that many of us know by heart, but definitely one that we need to be thinking about in light of what we're going to talk about today. Second Corinthians chapter 4, we'll actually begin reading in verse 3. Second Corinthians 4, 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, <clears throat> who, verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. We know that Satan is the God of this age. He's the God of this age. He's the one who's in control right now. And he's got the capacity to blind us, to blind our minds, to blind our thoughts, to help us be ignorant of what's going on around us. Let's go to another passage, Ephesians chapter 2. We just spent some time in Ephesians in Mr. Soselka's message. But Ephesians chapter 2, as we think about this individual who is working to control our minds and what he's all about, Scripture really gives us some insights into what he is all about. He is the God of this age. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to what? According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And I think we all know this, don't we? That one of the ways Satan, the god of this age, works is he is the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? What does that mean? Think about it. What kind of capacity have human beings developed over the last 120 years or so? Uh, Marconi came up with the radio concept in about 1895. It's not been that long ago since human beings were able to begin sending messages through the airwaves. And where have we come to now? Most of us carry one of these devices 
with us. And these are tools, aren't they? For not only capturing what comes through the air, but also for sending things through the air. We don't need a radio station anymore to do this. We can do it from our very own hands. And what, what have we got the capacity as human beings to send with something like this? We can send text, can't we? Just words. We can send music, music files. We can send and receive video, whether it's a file or a live stream. We can send images. And when we think about it, what else can we send in the context of or through those images and through that text? Can we not send thoughts, ideas, attitudes, feelings? We as human beings in about a hundred years have mastered the capacity to harness the airwaves. How much more Satan the devil in 6,000 human years and how many thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions of years that he's been around? Think about the capacity he has and the agenda that he has as the prince of the power of the air. We puny human beings have incredible capacity to harness the airwaves. How much more he is that prince of the power of the air. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. We'll read verse 31. This is at the end of Jesus Christ's ministry. He's leaving his disciples with some powerful thoughts, and some conclusions and some directions. It's, it's really his parting opportunity to communicate with them and teach them in the flesh. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. What did Christ say to his disciples, and particularly Simon Peter here? He said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter, Satan, the devil has asked for you. He wants at you. He wants to sift you and test you and try you. But I've prayed for you. Can you think of another person in the Bible who Satan asked for? You might think back to Job. Chapters 1 and 2. And Satan came before God and he asked for Job twice. He said, I want at him. This guy that you think so much of. I want at him. Mr. Smith talked about that in... A recent series of Bible studies. Do you think Job and Peter were the only ones that Satan has asked for? Or do you think maybe some other individuals also made in the image of God, also with the potential to reign on the earth as members of the God family? Maybe he's asked for us too and would like to get at us and to confuse us and to trick us into hopefully relinquishing our spiritual birthright, our calling, because he can't take it. But he wants to trick us into giving it up. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Again, as we think about Satan and his tactics and how he works to control our minds, Ephesians 6 is a very helpful passage. It gives us more insight here 
and the writings of Paul into how Satan works. Ephesians 6, verse 10. We're familiar with this passage, too, about the armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, sometimes we get into situations and altercations with individuals and we think, oh, that person's out to get me or that person's so difficult. This is a reminder that really our, our, our fight is not with a human being. It's not with the face. It's with Satan, the devil, who may be involved in the process and even motivating that other person in some cases or motivating us to misinterpret. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then the next several verses, Paul begins to describe the different elements of godly armor to defend against Satan the devil in his attacks. Let's skip down to verse 16 and read that together. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench what? All the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 16. Quench the fiery darts of the wicked one with the shield of faith. And what are Satan's fiery darts? This is not the cartoon that's been around for decades. Even some of the older ones saw cartoons of Satan the devil with his arrow. And, and shooting these fiery arrows at people. He doesn't shoot real arrows, does he? What does he shoot at us? What, is he, what are these fiery darts? What do they consist of? Things like thoughts, feelings, emotions, feelings of anxiety, sadness, fear, doubt, compromise, thoughts of I'm not worthy or they don't like me, all kinds of different things. If we can send these messages through the airwaves as human beings... How much more Satan who wants to destroy us and keep us off balance spiritually? Let's look at one more introductory scripture here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, as you turn back there, remember that Deuteronomy was given, this reiteration of the law of God was given at the end of the 40 years of sojourn of the Israelites in the wilderness, just before they began to enter the promised land. So Moses is reiterating all of these principles before he dies and before the Israelites go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. You can read that together, verses 5 and 6. It says, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go in to possess. So he's reminding them of the importance of God's law. Verse 6. He says, therefore, be careful to observe them. This phrase, be careful, is used 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Why do you think that is? Why does God repeat himself so many times in one book? Because this being careful to obey God, to know what he teaches, as we just heard, 
to know what we're exposed to, to know how our enemy works. Being careful is critical. Be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. We have an enemy, as you well know. He uses incredible tactics against us. But we've got to be aware of those things. I won't turn to 2 Corinthians 2.11. You're familiar with it, I think, where Satan has devices that he uses against us. And we need to not be ignorant of them. We need to know them. Because if we're ignorant of them, they'll be used against us and we won't even recognize it. Today what we're going to do in the remainder of the message is talk about two of these devices that he uses. Two of these devices he successfully uses against us, brethren. Tactics he uses to attempt to control our minds, our attitudes, our emotions, and our perspectives. As we're more aware of these things, he's not going to be as successful in working on us. So I think it's helpful to review these things together. One of the devices Satan uses, one of the tactics he uses to to attempt to control our minds is isolation and avoidance. Isolation and avoidance. What do I mean by that? Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. When you're down, when you're blue, when you're sometimes angry, what do you feel like doing? Oftentimes we feel like turning inward, don't we? Staying away from other people, not interacting with people in many cases. Proverbs 18, isolation and avoidance. Think about Satan's tactics here. Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And this works for women too. It's not just men, I think, as you know. He rages against all wise judgment or sound wisdom. Isolating oneself is, in the context of Proverbs here, unwise. It's foolish when we do that. Why is isolating ourselves foolish? First Peter chapter 5 gives us a little bit of insight there. It's dangerous, spiritually speaking. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 5, if you will. And I think most of you know this scripture as well. This is not new truth today by any means. But hopefully some helpful reminders. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Uh, let's see. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Another way to say that is be careful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about how as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And think about it. I think most of us have watched... Nature programs at one point or another, haven't we? How do lions hunt? Well, they hunt in packs as a pride. But how do they hunt the animals that they hunt? Do you usually see lions go directly into the middle of a herd of 10,000 water buffalo? Or into a herd of elephants and attack the big one in the middle? No, lions don't do that. They're going to get themselves killed if they do that. How do lions hunt as they seek whom they may devour? They watch the edges. They prowl around the edges of a herd and they look for maybe a sick animal who has gotten away, maybe a little baby who's not going to be able to defend itself because if that baby elephant's underneath its mama, 
that weighs 8,000 pounds, a lion's not going to go underneath the legs of an elephant and get stomped and, and killed. It's going to wait till that baby elephant gets off to the edge of the herd, and then the lions are going to attack it. Lions hunt waiting for individual members of these herds to isolate themselves. They don't have the protection of the herd. And that's how Satan works. He wants us to isolate ourselves. We, we lose the protection of the herd, if you will, the body. And then we're much more susceptible. Hebrews chapter 10. Paul actually addresses this concept in Hebrews 10, if you turn there. Many of you are familiar with this scripture as well. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let's think about each other. Let's be aware of each other. Let's help each other. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What happens when we forsake, put off, ignore, uh, don't take advantage of the opportunity to assemble together? whether it's in the middle of the week for dinner with brethren or on the Sabbath as we are here today. If we forsake the assembling, we begin to isolate ourselves. We make ourselves much more susceptible to Satan's tactics. As we heard about in Mr. Soselka's message, Satan can take our minds and lead us astray doctrinally if we get off on our own too much and we isolate ourselves. And you look at a lot of these little church groups, COG groups that have come out of what used to be the Worldwide Church of God. Many of them, the leaders, isolate themselves. And they go off on some really unique and creative tangents in all kinds of directions, all over the map. But we also can run into spiritual issues isolating ourselves because we can be under attack much more easily and we don't have our brothers and sisters in Christ there to help us, to encourage us, to lift us up, to help sharpen us as iron sharpens iron and to keep us on that straight and narrow path. <clears throat> I wanted to share a couple of things with you regarding isolating oneself, uh, some interesting studies that have been done recently. <clears throat> Think about what happens as we isolate ourselves and we're on our own, uh, oftentimes as an individual the lack of interaction we have with other people. What are the benefits of interacting with other people? I'm going to talk about two different things here. One has to do with eye contact when communicating. Think about the ways we communicate today and how many of them lack eye contact. What's the big deal with eye contact? This is taken from a Telegraph article, uh, November 29, 2017, very recent article. It says, researchers already knew that when parents interact with their children, their emotions and their heart rate synchronize, but they've never tested it with the brain until now. In a study of babies and their mothers, scientists at the University of Cambridge found that when a parent was gazing at their child, their brain waves aligned, and the baby made more effort to try and communicate. Interesting. God designed all this. Dr. Victoria Leong, lead author of the study, said, quote, When adults and infants are looking at each other, they're signaling their availability and intention to communicate with each other. We found that both adult and infant brains respond to a gaze signal 
by becoming more in sync with their partner, unquote. He's talking about oscillation frequencies in the brain. Interesting. Mothers and babies, when they gaze at each other, their brains become in sync. But it's not just mothers and babies. It's adults. It's those of all ages. When we communicate and we make that eye contact, Something happens with our heart rate, something happens within our mind, and the frequencies within our brain to make us much more receptive to the interaction that's going to take place. Science has already discovered that when we have meaningful connections with others through conversation, visualization and touch, and that happens too in communication, doesn't it? There's touch. Sometimes you reach out and you touch someone as you're communicating. There might be a hug that takes place or even a handshake at the beginning and or the end of a conversation. What happens when, this, when we do this, it releases hormones like dopamine, which is a happy hormone, and oxytocin, which is a hormone that literally binds us to another person. Both of these keep us from feeling alone. They fight against loneliness and despair. Interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> so how does social media impact this as we think about it? And communications through electronics. And I'm not going to bash social media here, but we, we do need to recognize there are benefits to it, but there are also a lot of drawbacks. And it seems like about every month there's a study that comes out that shows some of the negative sides of it. social media actually can train us not to make eye contact, and it can lower our quality of communication and the benefits that we can derive through communication. Let me read another study. This is from Psychiatric News, January 17, 2017. A study published online in the journal Computers and Human Behavior found that the use of multiple social media platforms is more strongly associated with depression and anxiety among young adults than time spent online. So it's actually the more platforms you use simultaneously, uh, the, the more problem you have. These findings come from a national survey of 1,787 young adults that asked, were asked about their use of 11 popular social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, Snapchat, Reddit, Tumblr, Pinterest, Vine, and LinkedIn. The analysis showed that People who reported using the most platforms, between 7 and 11, had more than three times the risk of depression and anxiety than people who use the least amount, zero to two platforms. As to why using more platforms might be detrimental, lead author Brian Pimrick, MD, PhD, director of the University of Pittsburgh Center for Media on Research, Technology, and Health, suggested several reasons. Here's one reason. One possible mechanism is that people who use many different platforms end up multitasking, such as as frequently switching between applications or engaging in social media on multiple devices. Studies have found that multitasking is related to poorer attention, cognition, and poorer mood. So even if we don't feel stressed as we do this, switching from platform to platform is stressful. The brain and the body interpret it that way. Other potential problems of using multiple platforms include an increased risk of anxiety and trying to keep up with the rules and culture associated with each one and more important, more opportunity to commit a mistake, a faux pas, uh, since attention is divided. And that's a problem with social media, isn't it? When we're communicating in text, and most of these use text opportunities, 
what's, what are some of the limitations of communicating to other people solely in text? You can be misunderstood very easily, can't you? Have you ever been misunderstood through textual communication, whether it's social media or even email? Have you ever misunderstood someone? What do we take away from the exchange when it's only text? Think about it. We just read about how our minds become in sync when we're making eye contact. So we really are much more on the same page when we communicate face-to-face. But face-to-face communication also provides several other things, doesn't it? You can read someone's facial expressions and understand more of the context. You can hear the intonation in their voice. It's much easier to tell if someone's joking or if they're serious. And if they're watching you as they communicate and they realize a surprise in facial expression, they can clarify what they mean. Textual communication, you don't have this opportunity. And so there's lots of opportunity for, in a sense, Satan to stick his finger right in the middle of it and mislead and cause division and cause problems and cause stress and cause anxiety and cause misunderstanding. Very interesting process that takes place. Social media can be, I'm not saying it is, can be a powerful tool that Satan uses to trick us into isolating ourselves especially among younger generations. We believe that we're connected to all of these people and we're having these communications and conversations with all these people, yet it actually can serve to isolate us even further, increasing anxiety, increasing a feeling of being alone because the quality of communication decreases. We don't have the connections with people. We're not bonding with them because of the brain chemicals and the hormones that are released. Very interesting. Satan, as the prince of the power of the air, is brilliant. He knows what he's doing, and perhaps is this one of the reasons why Paul said in Hebrews, as we read, don't isolate yourself, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, especially so much more as you see the end approaching. Because as we get closer to the end, there are more and more methods for separating and isolating us. One of the most powerful tools Satan will use to try and control what we think and how we feel is isolation. We've got to be careful with that. He doesn't want us to come to services on the Sabbath. Good on you for being here today, for braving the weather. For those who are connected on the phone, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. You're making the effort to connect, to be part of us, to be part of the body, even if you're not well and not able to be here physically. What's another tool that Satan does successfully use in his efforts to control our minds and our attitudes and our outlook? We've just talked about isolation. Another tool he uses is the media. And you know this. Movies, TV, music, books, the media. Satan can powerfully use these as tools. Now, not all media is bad. Let me preface it that way. But in a world where Satan is the god of this age, how much of the media do you think he influences? Do you think he inspires? It's interesting to think about. Satan can use the media as a tool of entree into our homes, into our families, and into our minds if we're not careful. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.20 talks about how we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, or we should be ambassadors. 
Where do ambassadors live? They live in embassies, don't they? And our homes really should be that, shouldn't they? They should be an oasis in Satan's world. They should be a, an embassy, a separation from the world where it's, it's spiritually and physically and emotionally safe, comfortable. It's a happy place to be. Yet if we're not careful, media can be used by Satan as a literal door, a portal into our homes. And we've got to be careful with that. <clears throat> He can, he can get into our homes and our minds through emotions, through fear and terror, through depression, anxiety, love, lust, hate, breaking the law, jealousy, compromise. Think about the messages that we hear and see and watch through media. Let's go to Isaiah 33. Another scripture you're familiar with. <clears throat> and again, these are reminders. Brethren, we all live in Satan's world. It's a hard place to be when... We've been called out. Mr. Selko talked about how when we try and live this way, we're criticized for it by the world. They put pressure on us. We are different. And I don't know about your human nature, but my human nature that sadly is still there to a certain extent doesn't want to be a whole lot different. It's easier to just fit in. Yet God calls us to be different, doesn't he? He calls the weak and the base, as we just read, to confound the mighty and the wise. How? By being different. By following God's way in a world that makes it very difficult to do that. Isaiah 33, verse 15. Isaiah 33, 15. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppression, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. This is the future. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. God's protection will be there. For the individuals who try and live God's way, who, as it relates to media here, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. And I think we all know that the media is a tool that Satan uses to insert bloodshed and evil into our minds. And into our lives. <clears throat> a couple questions here. We've, we've all got to analyze these for ourselves, me included. What types of movies and shows do we allow ourselves to watch? What types of music do we allow ourselves to listen to? What types of books do we allow ourselves to read? It's interesting. Satan is brilliant. He's invisible. He is the God of this age, as we've read, but he's also interesting in that he reveals himself and what he's all about through media as well. <clears throat> Some of you may be familiar with Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. I'm going to read lyrics from one of the pieces in, in Phantom of the Opera, and, and I'm not knocking Phantom of the Opera as, as a musical, but there are some very insightful um, elements of Phantom of the Opera into the spirit world, if you look at it from that perspective. There's one piece entitled Angel of Music, and I want to read the lyrics from part of this uh, song. It says here, and this is a, a woman um, in, in the, in the uh, musical who is an aspiring um, opera singer. 
But listen to what she's singing. Here in this room, he calls me softly, somewhere inside, hiding. Somehow I know he's always with me, he, the unseen genius. Angel of music, guide and guardian, grant to me your glory. Angel of music, hide no longer, secret and strange angel. Hmm, what does that have to do with anything? Turn to Ezekiel 28 with me, please. We're going to read about an angel of music in Ezekiel 28. And I'm not saying that Satan is got his fingers in every piece of music. But we've got to be careful. We, we had the LU students out to a symphony this past week. And I think any of us who were there would be hard-pressed to, to identify Satan's direct inspiration of the music we heard. It was uplifting. It was encouraging. It was fun to listen to. It made you feel good. It made you feel positive. Satan is not about that, uh, especially in a godly context. <clears throat> but he does get his fingers in a lot of the music that we listen to. His messages are there. He helps inspire it. Ezekiel 28, verse 11 it says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. And we'll, we'll see very quickly, this is not an actual king <laughs> because this king didn't exist all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This is, this is Satan, the devil that's being talked about. Lucifer, the light bringing angel who fell. This is who this is talking about. And it, it says, take up a lamentation for him. A lament, sadness. God's not happy with the fact that this brilliant creation of his sort of self-destructed. Verse, let's continue in verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. No, you weren't just made perfect. You were the seal of perfection. In the dictionary, under perfection, your face is there, if you will. You're the epitome of perfection, full of wisdom. Perfect in beauty. How many of us would love to be perfect in beauty? Who do you think sends the message? You need to be perfect in beauty. It's the one who was perfect in beauty. Let's continue. Verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You had this beautiful jewelry, if you will. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. Traveling in the southern Caribbean, I'd go into duty-free shops down there. They produce emeralds in, in Venezuela. And you see them in the shops. And boy, these deep, beautiful, green, perfectly cut emeralds surrounded by gold are incredible to see. I did not bring any of those back to my lovely wife. They're really expensive, even in duty-free down there. But he had these beautiful types of jewelry that adorned him. The workmanship, it says next, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. No, he hasn't lived forever. He was created. But the day he was created, he was apparently, it looks like, presented with what? Musical instruments. Musical instruments. And I doubt they just sat in a corner. 
No doubt he played them. He used them. He is, we see in the next verse, was the angel, the cherub who covered. Apparently his wings overshadowed the throne of God. And we know God loves music. He very likely even played music for God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, the one who became Christ. He was probably the most magnificent angel of music, as you think about it. And I doubt he's put down his pipes and his timbrels since then. As the prince of the power of the air and the god of this age has a musical background. And he knows how to use music. And we've all been there, haven't we? Inspired by music to love, to hate, to feel in all kinds of different ways. Because depending on what we listen to, the music can hold us and guide us and motivate us. And lift us up and depress us. So we've got to be very careful in the kind of music that we allow ourselves to be exposed to. What about TV? What about movies? What about books? What types of shows do we allow ourselves to watch? You know, it's telling sometimes, a little bit sad sometimes, to look at what brethren are watching and advertising they watch on social media. Sometimes you have this idea in your mind of a person or individual who you think, wow, this person's just really got it spiritually. And then you see what they're watching and you realize, ooh, I'm surprised. And I've got to be careful with that. We, we all are in this world. <clears throat> My family and I aren't perfect yet either. But brethren, I think we know repeated exposure to sin of any kind will desensitize us to that sin. The sin becomes less bad over time, and even okay as we expose ourselves to it over time. Repeated exposure to sin can help us, motivate us to compromise with integrity, to allow our eyes to see and our ears to hear violence and sin. Repeated exposure to this type of media can also welcome in wicked spirits from heavenly places if we're not Aware, You know, one of the big genres of media today that is, is really intriguing for society, we see it in the movies, we see it in television programs, is the genre of horror and the supernatural. Horror and the supernatural. Uh, some of you are aware of Stephen King's It movie that just came out last month. Now, many of you are aware of Stephen King's It book. It came out back in the 1980s. There's a two-part movie series that has just started. Um, on this horror flick. Stephen King, I was reading an interview with him a while back. He said, I think the most awful things I can think of, and I pass them on to you. Uh, This is demonic stuff. And I didn't go into the, the, to go research again the details on, on this kind of thing, but you can look at what happens on many of these horror movie sets while they're shooting these movies. And they'll talk about how things start floating around and interesting things start happening on these sets, bad things start happening. When you're shooting movies about demons in a world where there are real demons, do you think they sort of show up and they help out and they reinforce what's going on? Absolutely. Demonic influence and the paranormal, supernatural powers of darkness to hurt, terrify, and murder are all over the place, and we've got to be careful with them. They're directly inspired by Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus Christ, by Satan the devil. 
They go against Jesus Christ and what Christ would want for us. The God of this world is behind them. These TV shows that highlight the supernatural, the paranormal, witches, demons, zombies. Um, What's interesting is these programs aren't, and these shows aren't fantasy. They're reality. They're giving glimpses into a real spirit world. You know, years ago, the church talked about this more frequently. I grew up very, uh, not afraid of the spirit world, but very sensitive to the reality of it and respectful of it to try and stay away from it. With our creativity in media today, we can easily draw the conclusions if we're not careful that it's just a movie, it's just TV, it's not real, it's just fiction. Our brethren, this stuff is real. Satan wants us to think that it's fiction. So we can open up our television screens or pull out our devices and we bring it into our homes or into our bedrooms and and put it into our mind. Mr. Ames wrote an article way back in 2002 entitled The Dangers of the Occult in the Tomorrow's World magazine. I want to read just a little bit from it. He said, we need to understand that there's a real spirit world. Notice this warning when you come into the land, quoting now, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of the nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 11. He goes on and he says, God Almighty condemns sorcery and witchcraft. If you are playing around with such darkness, then you need to reject that underworld of evil. Seek the true God of your Bible. Can anything be more clear? concerning the evils of witchcraft and sorcery, and yet millions of adults are teaching their children that there is nothing wrong with, and he uh, cites Harry Potter, actively pursuing witchcraft and wizardry. Or we could throw in whatever the, the latest TV shows that are popular now that have to do with the paranormal or the movies. He says um, millions of adults teach their children there's nothing wrong with it. But the prophet Samuel told King Saul that witchcraft is sin. Quote, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you've rejected the world, the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king, he goes on to tell uh, Saul. And that's 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-three, James chapter 4. <clears throat> We've got to be careful, don't we? As God said in Deuteronomy, be careful. To follow my ways. We've got to be careful what we allow ourselves to be exposed to. At the same time on this topic, we don't need to be afraid either. James. Chapter 4. You know this passage of scripture, I think. Most of you. It says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And, and uh, purify your hearts, you double-minded. If we resist Satan, if we resist his ways, he's not going to come and be able to bother us or hurt us. He is under God's control, ultimately. Just like in the book of Job, Satan, God drew a line in the sand and Satan couldn't cross it. 
He couldn't go any further than God allowed, and God won't allow him to go any further with us as long as we draw near to God and we continue to resist Satan. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. For final scripture here. As we think about this device that Satan uses to try and control our minds, this device of the media, we need to be thinking about what kind of perspective we can have, what kind of filter we can have. Our media departments are not developing internet filters for the living church of God. God intends us to use the filter of our minds and God's Holy Spirit within us to determine right from wrong. Philippians chapter 4, how do we determine what kind of media we should expose ourselves to? Uh, Here's one tool, one example. Philippians 4, verse 8, most of you know this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. A great principle to use when we're trying to determine, is this kind of media something I want to expose myself to or my family to? Another passage, I won't turn there, is Galatians 5. 19 through 23. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. Verses 19 through 21 are the works of the flesh. There are a whole bunch of them. If the media we expose ourselves to is filled with the works of the flesh, obviously that's not God. And God inspired our God, not the God of this age. Those are characteristics of the God of this age. Verses 22 and 23 are the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. Things that are inspired by God are that way. I just encourage you, brethren, we've got to be continue to be vigilant with the media we allow ourselves to be exposed to. Satan is looking for opportunities to use this, again, to come into our homes, our hearts, and our minds. Okay, in conclusion, God wants us to be vigilant, brethren. We have an enemy, Satan the devil, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air who wants to control our thoughts, our minds, and our lives as much as we allow him to. And he uses some powerful tools to do that. He's designed them, he's tried them, he's tested them. He wants us to isolate ourselves. Because if and when we do, we become much more easy prey for him. Making sure that we don't isolate ourselves, that we are among God's people that we are communicating in effective ways as much as possible, really can help defend against that potential fiery dart of his and tool. We also have to be very careful with the media. I encourage you, become more aware of the lyrics of the music that you listen to. What are the words? And what is the sound? How does the sound make you feel? Be even more vigilant with the movies, in the videos, in the books that you read. Be aware of how they could be filled with sin, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness, disrespect for parents, disrespect for men, condemning of the family structure, filled with violence. God has called us out to avoid these themes, to avoid these things. Satan wants wants us to relinquish what God has given us, our calling. He's going to use these devices to try and do that. Brethren, I encourage you, Keep working hard yourself to protect your heart, to protect your mind, to protect your family, to protect your home. 
This is one way, as we do this, that we'll be able to hear Christ's congratulatory welcome when he returns, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's continue doing this together to try and avoid Satan's attempts to control our minds. We can do this, and with effort we will.